This is Africa Digest. Seventeen hundred hours Central African time. Good afternoon and welcome to Africa Digest. You're listening to Channel Africa from an African perspective, broadcasting to you from our studios in Johannesburg, South Africa. You can find us on www.channelafrica.co.za. My name is Samora Magesi and I'm in studio with Joanani Tullo, Nusikle Zuma as well as Neto Chimani. Top stories on Africa Digest at this hour. All eyes on Nigeria's Katsina state as gunmen continue to hold school children hostage at the government science secondary school. The International Committee of the Red Cross finally arrives in Tigray capital, Mekele, with relief supplies and medicines. And Rwanda's Ministry of Health is, re- uh, is ready to start distributing sunscreen body lotions and creams to people living with albinism. Right now, though, it's time for us to cross on over to the news desk. Here is Dwellin Yutulo with your latest bulletin. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Samora. Good afternoon. South Africa's President Soro Ramaphosa is in Mozambique for the meeting of the SADC Troika on politics, defense and security. The one-day meeting is called to find a solution to this insurgency in Cabo Delgado province. The member countries of the SADC Troika include Botswana, South Africa and Zimbabwe, but Tanzania will also attend as Cabo Delgado is on its border together with Mozambique. Meanwhile, President Cyril Ramaphosa is expected to address South Africans at 8 p.m. Central African time this evening regarding developments in relation to the country's response to the coronavirus pandemic. The address follows meetings on Sunday with the National Corona Command, Coronavirus Command Council, the President's Coordinating Council, and a special sitting of Cabinet. Earlier, some citizens say they believe that it is about time the country went back to lockdown level 5 during this festive season, while others say it's up to individuals to make sure that they adhere to the rules and regulations on how to avoid COVID-19 infections. We should be going back to families to see our loved ones, but we should still remember that there's still COVID-19 out there. If we, as the public, we are not uh, heeding the government's call, we are going to have a serious problem. Being in the arts, there's no way that we can survive if there's stricter lockdown regulations. But it's concerning that people have decided to be irresponsible and not project themselves as initially indicated by the president at level five. I don't think our country can afford to go into another lockdown. Uh, We've already been destroyed from the first wave. Kenya's President Uhuru Kenyatta is expected to hold talks with the President of the Self-Declared Republic of Somaliland, Musebihi, amid frosty relations with neighboring Somalia. Somalia had last month expelled Kenya's ambassador to Mogadishu and recalled its envoy from Nairobi. It accused Kenya of alleged interference in its internal and political affairs. Kenya's Foreign Affairs Ministry says the talks between President Kenyatta and President Bihi will be on a mutual will be on mutual interests. This is the second visit by Somaliland leader following a similar one by President Kahin Riyale Kahin in 2006. Reports from Malawi say the country's Minister of Home Alliance Security, Richard Chimwendo Banda, has signed the extradition papers for Pastor Shepard Bushiri and his wife Mary. Earlier this month, the South African government served Malawi with the extradition request after the Bushiris contravened their bail conditions and fled to Malawi. The submission followed a request for a provisional arrest, which was sent through the International Criminal Police Organization, or Interpol, in terms of Article 10 of the SADC Protocol. The Bushiris are facing charges relating to a fraud money laundry and a money laundering case. However, High Court in Lilongwe will now have to issue a warrant of arrest for the two to be detained and sent back to South Africa. And finally, the Nigerian army says close to 30 generals have tested positive for the coronavirus after they attended a military conference. Testing was ordered when a major general died of COVID-19 days after he fell ill at the gathering in Abuja. The conference has been suspended as spike of infections has been reported in Nigeria in recent weeks, raising fears of a second wave of the pandemic. The country has recorded 73,175 coronavirus cases and 1,197 COVID-19-related deaths. Headlines at 5.30 for Channel Africa. I'm Cholani Tulo.
SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy, which can ensure full employment to our people. The government concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on Black Economic Empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at NetLab to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussions have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment, and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. I tried looking for a job for it's a year and a half now. The challenges were experience and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. 1706 Central African Time. A very big thank you to Chwalani Tulo for those news, uh, for that news bulletin. But she'll be back at 1730 Central African Time for your latest news headlines. We're definitely looking forward to seeing what uh, the president of South Africa is going to be saying in what South Africans now call the family meeting, which is going to be happening later tonight. Uh, we'll be hearing about uh, what the plan is with regards to dealing with what is seemingly the second wave of the coronavirus here in South Africa. But moving on to Nigeria right now, we're barely two weeks after the slaughtering of over 100 farmers in Mozambari in Bono State. This time around, terrorists struck at the government science secondary school in Katsina State in northern Nigeria, kidnapping over 300 students. This happens at a time when Nigerians from different walks of life are clamoring for the overhaul of the country's security apparatus, beginning with the sacking of service chiefs, most of whom have outlived the stipulated time of service in the nation's service laws. The incident occurred the same day that President Muhammadu Buhari arrived in Daura, his hometown on vacation in Katsina State. Channel Africa's correspondent at Lagos, Collins Nosato Hengbe, brings us the latest. The pain of many Nigerians over the level of insecurity and the evident fear expressed by many over their safety was further worsened last weekend with the abduction of over 300 school children by terror gangs in Kankara, Katsina State, northwest of Nigeria. The incident has also increased the voice of discord over the refusal of the federal government to come to terms with concerned Nigerians who have been calling for the overhaul of the security apparatus beginning with the sack of the service chiefs, most of whom have stayed in office beyond the service term, which is approved under the service rules and regulations of the country. Speaking on the development, the Kassina State Governor Aminu Masari decried the abduction of school children, confirmed that 333 of the estimated 600 students initially declared to be missing are yet to be accounted for. The children so far kidnapped cut across the state because the school is a boarding school. It houses children from all parts of the state and some even from outside the state. It has a population of 839 and so far we are yet to account for 333 peoples and uh, we are still counting because more are coming out of the forest and we are calling through the numbers those parents that to find out whether their children have gone back home because we have discovered uh, so many local governments the children have gone back we are yet to be contacted by any group or person uh, those who have uh, kidnapped the children taking a swipe at president buhari and his administration for security lapses the main opposition political party the people's democratic party says the incident confirms the inability of buhari to secure the country kola ologbondion is the spokesperson of the people's democratic party this development has further exposed the failure of president Muhammadu buhari to manage high-level security intelligence that ought to accompany a presidential visit president buhari who refused to honor an invitation by the House of Representatives for a collective deliberation on security, could abandon his duty post for a holiday, leaving our nation's flanks open for terrorists, bandits, vandals, and insurgents. The time of the attack buttresses the fact that President Buhari is totally incapable 
of securing our nation, the very reason there have been widespread calls by patriotic Nigerians that he should resign from office. Moreover, this particular abduction in the president's home state, under his own watch, raises further serious questions over this government's capacity to fight insurgents. Jamilu Charanchi of the Coalition of Northern Groups told journalists at a press conference on the Kankara students' abduction that even if they were to lose their lives, youths in northern Nigeria will embark on a timeless demonstration if the government delayed to rescue the students. Hopeless as the situation may seem, silence is a luxury we cannot afford. The failure of the government to rescue the missing student within a shortest period of time, CNG will not hesitate to mobilize hundreds of thousands on the street of Katsina State for a continuous protest until the students are fully rescued. This will happen even if it is going to cost our lives. President Buhari-led administration has failed in discharging its primary responsibility of protecting lives and properties of people. Taking a look at the incident and the method of having to negotiate with kidnappers or trying to cut their friendship as the Kassina state government has done in the past, the deputy chairman of the House of Representatives Committee on Security at the National Assembly, Adejor Adeogun, says it's an admission of failure to negotiate with undefeated bandits. I think negotiating with bandits or thinking of amnesty for bandits is actually an acceptance of failure. When you're offering amnesty, you offer amnesty to someone who's been defeated, someone who's actually asking, come and help me, not someone who's saying, look, I want to fight to die. So I think we're adopting the wrong procedure. What I think we should do is actually be the capability of our security forces to actually be able to take the fight to the bandits and defeat them in their own place, not negotiate with them. Negotiating is not going to solve the problem. What we're going to do is just transfer the bandits from one location to another. So for as long as they have weapons and you're negotiating with them, you're actually making them more powerful. That's what we're going to have at the end of the day. Group captain Sadiq Shehu, deputy head of security and safety at the African Union headquarters, says there may be some interest that wants the war against insurgents to persist. Does it not surprise you that this ragtag army of the Boko Haram is holding the Nigerian army to task all these years? If we really dig deep, we may find out that there are some interests that want this war to continue, not because the Boko Haram cannot be trashed in a short while, but because of some other interests. Daily, if we don't check these criminal acts, people are acquiring greater skills and things are getting worse. So it is important that we really face this issue of security. The kidnapping incidents at Kankara Kasina State is similar to what happened at Chibok in April 2014, in which over 400 guests were kidnapped, and the February 28 incident of the abduction of 110 school children in Dapchi, while there remains quite a number of victims of those abductions yet to be rescued, a fresh batch of 333 school children has been added to the number. Will the president now accept the call to overhaul? its security apparatus to reinforce its drive to defeat insurgents groups as it is now many nigerians are seeking ways to leave the country at the slightest opportunity for safety reasons from lagos nigeria i am collins nosa atohengwe for channel africa news after more than five weeks of fighting in seven trucks of the international committee of the red cross uh have seven Seven trucks of the International Committee of the Red Cross have arrived in Tigray capital, Mekele carrying desperately needed relief and medicines. The arrival of the trucks comes at a time when the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights is describing the situation in Tigray as explosive and unpredictable. James Shimanula reports. The arrival in Tigray of 70 trucks carrying relief supplies and medicines was organized by the International Committee of the Red Cross and the Ethiopian Red Cross. The urgently needed relief supplies are to be delivered to health centers in Tigray capital, Mekele, and its outskirts. Meanwhile, the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights, Michelle Bachelet, has been saddened by the current situation in Ethiopia. Speaking from Geneva, Switzerland, Bachelet said, The situation in Ethiopia is, um, is really worrying. It's spiraling out of control with appalling impact on civilians in the Tigray region itself. Fighting is reportedly continuing in spite of government claims to the contrary. 
We have reports of particular areas surrounding towns like Mekele, Sherero, Aksum, Abi, Adi, and the borders between the Amhara and Tigray regions. Fighting continues between federal forces and the TPLF and affiliated militias on both sides. Bachelet says her office has received reports of human rights violations in Ethiopia's Tigray region. We have corroborated information of gross human rights violation abuses, including indiscriminate attacks against civilians and civilian objects, looting, abductions and sexual violence against women and girls. We have also reported forced recruitment of Tigrayan youth to fight against their own communities. According to Bachelet, a major impediment is that communication in Tigray region remains limited and her office has been unable to communicate with informants there to verify cases of human rights violation. There is an urgent need for independent monitoring of the human rights situation in the Tigray region, all necessary measures to protect civilians and accountability for violations. Speaking about the current humanitarian situation in Tigray, Bachelet had this to say. Humanitarian situation is also deeply distressing. In spite of an agreement between the government and the UN, unfettered humanitarian access has not been possible. So I appeal to the government to fulfill the Prime Minister's pledge to ensure humanitarian access and to ensure access to water, electricity, and other basic need is restored. Elsewhere in Ethiopia, there are numerous reports of ethnic profiling of Tigrayans in the capital Addis Ababa. Bachelet says she has received reports of dismissals from jobs including in the civil service, harassment of Tigrayan journalists, and hate speech against Tigrayans. Such discriminatory actions, she says, are deeply unjust but are also fostering divisiveness and showing the seeds for further instability and conflict. To make matters worse, Bachelet is reporting eruption of communal violence in Ethiopia. We're also concerned in Ethiopia there has been a reported rise of intercommunal violence in recent weeks in other parts of Ethiopia, particularly in the Amhara, Benishangul Gumus, Somali, Afar and Oromia regions, which has reportedly resulted in fatalities. That was Michelle Bachelet, United United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy, which can ensure full employment to our people. The government concurs with the views of the black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on black economic empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at Netlet to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussions have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment, and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. I've tried looking for a job for a year and a half now. The challenges were experience and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. Rwanda's Ministry of Health has announced its readiness to start distributing sunscreen, uh, body lotions and creams to people living with albinism in Rwanda. This after persistent outcry from people living with the condition saying they were in danger of getting skin cancer due to the lack of body lotion, which helps reduce the possibility of suffering from the disease. Silvanas Karamera reports from Kigali. This is one of the Kigali residents, one Dwayne Jampol. Of seven children in his family, two of them, including himself, were born with albinism impairments despite the fact that none of his parents had this type of disability, he says. We grew up avoiding the sun. When you are young, there are things that you cannot understand, whereby they used to refuse us from playing on a sunny day, but still insist and do the opposite, and my skin turned into red. After some days, and there also comes the wounds, 
the sun is like poison to our skins because it damages the skin and in most instances causes skin cancer. Jean Paul is one of the hundreds if not thousands of people whose cry has been the same suffering from albinism impairment due to the lack of sunscreen lotions that otherwise have been recommended by doctors as their remedies for their skin lashes caused by the sun rays. But in August 2018, when he was speaking at one of the young congregations in Kigali, at which some of youth attendees with albinism sought some assistance from the president, President Paul Kagame promised to sort out this issue. Our wish is that the protective sunscreen body lotions and creams becomes available in the country and at affordable prices, at least for each member to buy them using their health insurances. I completely agree with you. There is no reason why we should even discuss the matter any further. People living with albinism should be facilitated and the issue should be dealt with as soon as possible. Now, Rwanda's Ministry of Health has announced that the sunscreen skin lotions will be available at all health facilities and at pharmacies across the country. The Ministry of Health further made it clear all medical insurance including one for the public, will have an obligation to prescribing sunscreen lotions to these people without further delay. And indeed, this has been a good news for some of them. We took this as something of great value. We are now going to receive them by the doctor's prescription. These protective sunscreen body lotions and the creams are medicine to us because after using them, the sun has no impact on our skins. The National Council of Persons with Disabilities says Rwanda has about more than a thousand people with albinism disability. The council believes this is the good news as many of its members have been struggling to getting at least one bottle of lotion and cream per month. Emmanuel Ndaisawa is head of this council. We have sent letters to the district officials. They are going to provide us with the list of people with albinism. And we are doing this because we are sure that there are others with problems of this sort, but who cannot get access to us. And this is because most of them are from poor families out there. Getting access to these protective sunscreen, body lotions and creams was a big challenge as one bottle went for more than 10,100 francs equivalent to about 10 US dollars. Silvanus Kalimera reporting for Channel Africa in Kigali. 17.22 Central African Time. This is still Africa Digest with myself, Samora Magesi, right here on Channel Africa. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa will this evening address the nation on government's response to the coronavirus second wave. There's high levels of what is, uh, this address will mean for the citizens' lives, including business activities moving forward. The address is a culmination of a special cabinet sitting, as well as the National Coronavirus Command Council, as the numbers of the new COVID-19 uh, deaths and cases soar. The Southern African nation has since last week seen a sharp rise in new coronavirus cases with about 8,000 new cases recorded. South African life coach Jason Burnick gives us some tips to calm the panic. We're mere hours away from an announcement by the president tonight and what we're going to do about places like KwaZulu-Natal. And I think that what will be two days away from the major holiday of the year mm. in itself is is causing some major anxiety around around everyone. So the, there's the anxiety around the virus, the lockdowns, the economy, the political situation, government actions. But there's also now, and I have to mention this today, the anxiety around the president's speech tonight because mm. we don't know mm. what what's coming. So you asked me about tips and tricks, and you know I think I've become famous for giving tips and tricks around, <laughs> especially lockdown and coronavirus over these last number of months. And there are no absolute tips and tricks that are going to get someone out of a panic once they're there. But let's sure. look at the short term, the immediate term, which is today. Well, the reality is that there's, there's nothing much that you can really do about what's coming in the next few hours because it's coming, and we don't have a lot of time to act on whatever we think our suspicions are about uh, what the announcement is going to be. I do have some advice, however, that I could probably share with everyone, which is don't mm. go and book any flights, don't book any holidays, don't put deposits down and everything, don't go and make any massive purchases that you're committed to today because that would probably be a little bit irresponsible. Um, I would also say on the opposing side of that is just relax because this is out of our control. 
I'm still speaking about the immediate term. It's out of our control. Whatever's coming tonight is coming. And we should probably do the opposite of what we're inclined to do, which is not panic and take action and try and gamble with or against whatever might come. But relax and take a deep breath. And if you're stressing at your desk, get up and walk around the house or the garden or the office. Try and check out of it, if only for a moment. Call a friend, have a conversation, uh, do some exercise, whatever gets your mind out of it, because it's our thinking that gets us into the panic, and that's mm. not going to help us. I would, you know, if you're really stressed out about some hard lockdowns coming back, after work, on your way home, maybe pass by the store and buy a bottle of wine or a six-pack of beer. Maybe that'll work for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can you. tell you, Jason, that as you and I are speaking now, there are people who are in um, long, long, long queues at the liquor store because, as you say, there's a lot of anxiety around um, what the president yeah. is going to be announcing this evening. And uh, people are saying they'd rather be safe than sorry in case, you know, um, liquor stores are closed, etc., like we've seen in, in the previous lockdown. Now, you are yeah. talking to us about, you know, just staying calm and not focusing so much on this. How does one do that, Jason? <laughs> How do you stay calm? <laughs> are we, okay, so I, I have to ask, are we talking about tonight or are we talking about generally speaking? I think in the, general, Jason, I mean, you, you highlighted quite a number of, of things, you know, apart from the pandemic itself um, that um, have yes. had South Africans in, in a state of anxiety this year. And I think, I mean, uh, just the loss of jobs has been one thing. Um, the loss of lives has been a, a big thing and just a feeling of hopelessness that has um, yes. trended throughout this year. So how does one really stay calm? And I know that you've highlighted a few things that one can do, but mm. um, I don't know. Perhaps it's an unfair question from me as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's not unfair at all. So what I was highlighting just now was what you need to do in the next few hours or mm. not in the next few hours. But it's, it's more a case of ensuring that you have some foundational support. And I remember in March and April speaking a lot about how the foundation that we had that was familiar to us was suddenly ripped out from under us. Everything sure. changed. We used to go to the office, and now we work from home. The kids used to go to school, and now we are the teachers at home. And as we continue through this, albeit in level one, maybe with some enhanced announcements and everything, one of the best things we can do to support ourselves as we deal with the pandemic and the deaths and the contraction rates and everything is to ensure that we have that foundation. And to me, the marks of the foundation are two things, structure and routine. Back to the familiarity. You have to have something that supports you through your day, your week, your month. And that's mm. as simple as knowing when you wake up in the morning, knowing when you go to sleep at night, and therefore how many hours of sleep you get, knowing what you're doing during the day. Are you working? Are you parenting? Are you teaching when your breaks are? I also at the beginning spoke about the four necessaries that you need to take care of yourself before you take care of other people. And that's absolutely that you need to yeah, feed yourself yeah. nutritional food. You need to drink water. You need to exercise and you need to sleep. Now, if you've got structure and routine that are familiar and you stick to them and you take care of yourself first, you'll be in a much better position to take care of others at the same time. No more has the idea of, of mental wellness being as pronounced as it has been um, during this uh, pandemic. Earlier, we were speaking to nutritionist uh, um, Vanessa Sensau, and she was giving us tips around what we can do, you know, for our body's health. Um, but, I mean, let's talk a little bit more about, uh, you know, the, the mental wellness. Um, where can people get um, external help, you know, if they, if they can't really find themselves in a position where they are relaxing and finding things that they can do to sort of distract themselves? themselves from thinking too much about this this issue so external is one place you can go but there's so much you can do internally as well mm. so as a coach i have to say if you're in a position where you can work with a coach that's amazing because a coach can support a person in whatever they're going through uh in the present but also help them to move through it into the future now i work with entrepreneurs and business owners and their focus has been pivoting around whatever's thrown at them to continue yeah. to pursue their goals in respect of their, their business. Now, supporting themselves mentally with their mindset and that respect, there are a number of elements to that, but including just being really, really focused in what you do and how you do it. The goal shouldn't change, even if you 
have a business or are in a business that has been adversely affected by what's going on. Your goals need to remain. How you pursue those goals, the strategy will probably change, which is what the pivoting is about. That was Jason Bernice, a South African life coach on the line, talking to Zikonami Saw. It is now time for us to cross on over to the news desk for your latest news headlines. The time is 17.30. Here's Trelani Tulo. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Samara. Making headlines, South Africa's President Soro Ramaphosa is in Mozambique for the meeting of the SADC Troika on Politics, Defence and Security. The one-day meeting is called to find a solution to the insurgency in Cabo Delgado province. Reports from Malawi say the country's Minister of Homeland Security, Richard Chimwendo Banda, has signed the extradition papers for Pastor Shepard Bushiri and his wife, Mary. And finally, the Nigerian army says close to 30 generals have tested positive for coronavirus after they attended a military conference for Channel Africa I'm Cholani Tulo SABC News independent and impartial from an African perspective across the globe every second there's always a breaking story what we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy which can ensure full employment to our people. The government concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on Black Economic Empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at NetLab to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussions have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment, and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. I've tried looking for a job for a year and a half now. The challenges were experience and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. United Nations Secretary-General Antonio Guterres has called on governments to declare a state of climate emergency and make good on their promises to slash carbon pollution as they recover from the pandemic. Speaking at the Climate Ambition Summit held online to mark five years since the Paris climate deal, Guterres warned that nations' current commitments were far from enough to limit temperatures, temperature rises to 1.5 degrees Celsius. The summit came as European Union leaders made new commitments to cut greenhouse gas emissions by at least 55% by the year 2030. To tell us more about what the Paris Agreement has achieved over the past five years, here is Tandile Chinyavanu, a climate and energy campaigner at the environmental campaigning organization Greenpeace Africa. In the past five years, I think a wide consensus would agree that um, there has not been a material difference. A number of the countries that made commitments to the Paris Agreement have um, been categorized as highly insufficient in terms of their um, the agreements made or the commitments made to the Paris Agreement. And many have even cited 2020 as a year when it comes to climate action. Just before time. the United Nations marked the five years of the Paris Agreement in New commitments were made by European leaders as European Union's leaders agreed on a goal to cut greenhouse gas emissions by at least 55% by the year 2030 compared with the 1990 levels. What do you make of this uh, agreement? Well, Greenpeace Africa um, is very disappointed in this commitment made by the EU. Um, We would have preferred that they make an agreement that is more in line with climate science, and that would require for them to make an emissions reduction of at least 65%. Um, They had the capacity to do so, but clearly political interests and the interests of carbon majors are what won at the end of the day. Do you think uh, it is also the problem of governments being somewhat reluctant uh, to the science and their reluctance to tackle the root causes of the climate emergency? Um, I would say that 
the government are aware of the climate crisis and they are aware of the urgency that it takes to to tackle this. But at the same time, they're balancing their own personal interests and their political interests. So it's clear from the outcome of this, um, a number of the concessions made in the agreement really do favor and allow for these carbon majors to continue to thrive beyond 2050. Um, The concessions they've made have even included um, allowing for gas, which is still a fossil fuel, to be eligible for subsidies under the green subsidies um, agreement. So I think it's very clear from them that they are aware of the climate science, they have acknowledged it, but they continue to allow the um, carbon majors to thrive for the interests of themselves and what they assume would be interests of the economy. There is no year that passes without discussing the climate change crisis and a need to do more to cut greenhouse emissions. What will the COP26 in Glasgow need to do to avoid turning it into yet another talk shop? Well, what needs to happen is that these countries need to come down and make a concerted effort to phase out fossil fuels and phase out fossil fuel subsidies as well within this period of time. We have reached a period where we need to understand that this is a climate emergency and we need to act with urgency. So for us to really move forward and mitigate climate change, we need to have a concerted effort to just stop the fossil fuel industry from expansion and um, allow for the phase out of these fossil fuels. In the absence of this, then we will not be able to adequately meet our our de- uh, the 1.5 degrees Celsius target because we are currently on track to reach a 4 degrees Celsius world. So they really need to make concerted efforts, including South Africa. South Africa, one of these countries that is a part of the Paris Agreement, is way off target to meet these um, emission reductions and the um, to meet the 1.5 degrees Celsius target because of our commitment to the fossil fuel industry and us enabling carbon majors such as ESCOM and Cecil to continue operating as they are. And that was Tandile Chinyavandu, the climate and energy campaigner at Greenpeace Africa, talking to Kumbelo Mujalele. Uncertainty clouds festive travel plans in South Africa as COVID-19 infections continue to rise. South Africa is experiencing a second wave of the COVID-19 pandemic. And when he addresses the nation later today, President Cyril Ramaphosa is expected to shed some light on how government is planning to tackle coronavirus. Abongile Dumago reports. The continued rise of COVID-19 infections poses a great concern for government. Tighter lockdown restrictions were imposed and beaches closed in the Eastern Cape the last time President Cyril Ramaphosa spoke to the nation, he laid down the law for hotspot provinces including Gauteng and the Western Cape. The measures that are being taken in relation to Nelson Mandela Bay are not meant to punish the residents of Nelson Mandela Bay. They are not intended to increase the hardship that is already being experienced by our citizens. These measures are needed to contain the spread of the virus and to save lives. And with sun seekers eager to visit our beaches this holidays, people are eager and anticipating the president's address. Right now, especially during festive season, we're excited to be going back to families, to see our loved ones, but we should still remember that there's still COVID-19 out there. Government can do as much, that much. So if we, as the public, we are not uh, heeding the government's call, we are going to have a serious problem. Being in the arts, there's no way that we can survive if there's stricter lockdown regulations. But on the other hand, people's survival and people's health is the most important. I'm just glad that I don't have to make those decisions. I've got the utmost respect for the people who do. It's concerning that people have decided to be irresponsible and not protect themselves as initially indicated by the president at level five. I don't think our country can afford to go into another lockdown. Uh, We've already been destroyed from the first wave. So I think if they can control it per district. The World Health Organization says the second wave of infections needs more attention from Africa. Here's Maria van Kerkhove from the WHO. Hang in there. Do everything that you can to protect yourself and to protect your loved ones. You have individual level measures that you can have, you have knowledge about where this virus is, how it spreads, and you have the power to take decisions. But the Africa Center for Disease Control and Prevention says a second wave is not unique. 
as its director, Dr. John Nkenga Song, elaborates. As we speak now, we have seen the numbers increase uh, 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 a bit up very slowly, but steadily, to the point that uh, my speculation is that by January or so, or February, it will be where we were uh, um, in, in, at the peak of this pandemic. Tonight's address by President Cyril Ramaphosa follows a meeting with the country's National Corona Command Council and government officials this weekend. I'm Abongile Dumago in Johannesburg. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy, which can ensure full employment to our people. The government concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on Black Economic Empowerment more explicit. Last at least 190 homes have been demolished in the Zimbabwean capital Harare following a high court order empowering Harare City Council to pull down illegal settlements. Authorities claim land barons sold land illegally to unsuspecting home seekers, leading to this challenge. Simon Muchemwa reports from Harare. It's a rainy Sunday afternoon in the Zimbabwean capital and most people are seeking the cover of their homes. But in Budiriro, a township south of the capital Harare, hundreds of families are sleeping outside. Their homes were destroyed by a team of police, soldiers and municipal authorities a few days ago for allegedly building on land illegally sold. This land was sold to unsuspecting home seekers by land barons owing to the home shortages in the capital. For the past 15 years, government witnessed the construction of these homes and no one was arrested, neither were the settlers warned of building illegal structures. Zimbabweans are seeking answers over this heartless event, but both the ruling and opposition parties are blaming each other. Here is what some of the residents whose houses were destroyed said over their ordeal. We demand a regularization of these stands for everyone whose money was swindled by this land baron called Caleb Kajwe. Everyone who built here actually bought a stand. Some have been here for ages. So please assist these people in the same manner we bought the stains. When they came, we had to hide, and these people were beating everyone and destroying everything on site. There was no way we could salvage our house properties by then. I am sleeping now in my forearm because I have nowhere else to go. Meanwhile, there are allegations the Arari municipality led by councillors from MDC Alliance, the opposition, ordered the demolition following a high court order to do so a few days ago. Channel Africa spoke to Arari Mayor Jacob Mafume, who admitted his council demolished homes, but the orders came from the central government led by the ruling ZANU-PF without his knowledge. Mafume accused the ZANU-PF-led central government of playing dirty political tricks by destroying people's homes in urban areas in a bid to destabilize the opposition party. ZANU-PF is known for destroying close to 2 million homes in 2005 in what was later dubbed Murambachina. This event attracted the attention of the United Nations, Tibaijukwa, who issued a damning report regarding this act. Government was ordered to relocate the victims to alternative pieces of land where some homes were built by the government. This is what Harare Mayor Jacob Mafume said. There was an existing court order that was ordering the eviction of these people. However, the timing and the implementation of the court order is the 
is the problematic issue and needed to have been done in a more humane manner. We are looking at solutions that allows for regularization of the pieces of land if that is possible, if it's not being used for schools or other facilities like clinics, and also looking at how people can be compensated by the land barons who would have taken hard-earned cash of the residents. The opposition is in control of most of the towns and cities, hence the Mnangagwa government appointed coordinating committees in a bid to control the cities, hence the sudden house demolitions. In Harare, Zimbabwe, for Channel Africa, this is Simon Mchemwa. 17.45 Central African Time, here is Nusishia Zuma with your latest economics news. Thank you, Samara. Good evening. South Africa's National Government Economic Recovery Team, led by the Head of Infrastructure and Investment, Dr. Hosea Nsura Mahopa, on Monday, visited several projects earmarked for industrial development in the Limpopo province. This forms part of the country's overall recovery plan following the COVID-19 pandemic. The Musina Makado Special Economic Zone and 27 others in the country are expected to help bolster economic growth in the future. Ramahopa says $65 billion in investment is expected to be raised to help accelerate growth in the next four years. The focus in Limpopo is really around uh, bulk water to support the Musina Makado SEZ. I'm sure you know it's one of the flagship projects in the in the province and the country. We showcased about 28 projects that required financing for project preparation and I'm happy to announce that we've got uh, interest on all the 28 projects ranging from project preparation to possible financing. That target of uh, 1 trillion rents in the next four years becomes possible. Meanwhile, the chief executive officer of the Makaru Messina Special Economic Zone, Letloho Nolo Masoha, says government is negotiating with Zimbabwe to address, to address water challenges in the industrial zone. A structure has been established in the form of a binational water commission, which is a based at the national government level. They've commissioned a study, a water reconciliation study in uh, the Zim site, just to establish as to the extent of the alleged surplus, so that um, whatever surplus that is shared uh, with South Africa from the Zim does not disadvantage the people in Zimbabwe, the economy and the agricultural sector in Zimbabwe. The Tourism Business Council of South Africa, TBCSA, has raised concerns over possibility of the full closure of, business, of beaches during the festive season. This comes amid speculation that the National Coronavirus Command Council might consider closing beaches during the Christmas period to help slow the spread of the COVID-19. President Cyril Ramaphosa will address the nation tonight on developments to South Africa's response to the coronavirus pandemic. TBCSA CEO Chiviwa Chivengwa says there needs to be a careful consideration on further restrictions to ensure social distancing is carried out. We should uh, keep in mind that majority of people who go to the beach on those specific days are people that are coming from countries, rural areas once a year. So if we have people that do that once a year or twice a year and now we're going to be closing off, what are the alternatives that we're offering the people that live within the area? But I do believe that let's identify specific days that may be a problem and let's have a solution for those specific days because the beaches are not full to capacity every day. Besides, people are at least outside. Where are we pushing people to? Are we saying that stay indoor and mingle and drive around and be with other people other than being outside, you know, you know, by the beach and enforce, you know, social distancing? The International Monetary Fund has projected that the Nigeria's economy will begin to recover in 2021. The IMF, however, says the economy will record a subdued real GDP growth of 1.5% in output, recovering to its pre-COVID-19 pandemic level only in 2022. The projection by the IMF team is in agreement to the earlier optimism of the fiscal and monetary authorities. The fund, however, did not state exactly the quarter Nigeria's economy will likely pick up in the year. IMF also applauded the removal of subsidy on electricity tariff, ratification of the African continental free trade area and efforts taken to mitigate impacts of COVID-19 on the economy.
And the EU's chief Brexit negotiator, Michel Benya, is reported to have told ambassadors from the 27 countries in the bloc that a post-Brexit deal can be completed within days, but only if the dispute over fishing rights can be resolved. A deadline to finish talks had been set for Sunday, but Prime Minister Boris Johnson and European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen agreed to an extension. The deadline to reach a post-Brexit trade deal is the 31st of December with the UK and European Parliament's expected to vote on a deal that emerges before then. The BBC's Nick Big has more. Michel Barnier was on his way into one of the buildings here in Brussels to brief ambassadors from the 27 EU countries. He also is said to have reported that the two sides are far apart on that key issue. But if there is a pathway, then everything else will fall into place. For financial indicators, the US dollar is trading at 376.34 Nigerian Nara, 10.84 Buzona Bula, 110.69 Kenyan Shilling, and 21.05 Zambian Guacha in BRICS currencies. One US dollar is trading at 5.06 Brazilian Rule, 73.06 Russian Ruble, 73.55 Indian Rupee, 6.53 Chinese Yuan, and at 15.10 South African Rand. The US dollar is also trading at 75 pence to the British pound and 82 cents to the euro. Looking at commodities, gold is trading at $1,837 and platinum at $999 per ounce. While brand crude oil is at $50.07 a barrel. For Channel Africa, I'm Nossi Chizum. Now it's time for your latest sporting news. Here is Neto Chimani. With the latest Channel Africa Sports News at this hour, I'm Neto Neto Chimani. From the Sports Desk, a very good afternoon. Starting off with Athletics News. Athletics Kenya, whose leadership has been vocal with threats of dire consequences for athletes caught cheating, has yet to establish a reliable department to deal with doping cases despite the soaring cases. With no legal representation of the services of professional medics to fall back at the federation level, Kenyan athletes accused of ADRs are often left to fight charges themselves or use lawyers paid for by the AIU. Susan Kamau, the CEO of Athletics Kenya. We are doing everything possible as Athletics Kenya to ensure that we come out of this watch list. And as Athletics Kenya, we are doing it with ADAC, with the Ministry of Sports, and for sure, if we continue with the, with the, with the way we are doing it, then we will be out of this watch list very soon. Kenyan runners often argue that there is a vendetta maliciously against Kenyan athletes in an attempt to tame their success on the global stage. The former 1,500 meters star Asbel Kiprop, who is serving suspension, had this to say. I told them I'm lucky because I've not had an injection of late. You know, the last injection was before traveling to Bahamas some years back for the wall relays. So I was still lucky and I'm still lucky up to now because I haven't had an injection. Supposing it was something taken through food or drinks, it would have been a different case. But uh, something is taken through injection, then it's... You know, it's not possible, you know, that I've ever slept somewhere to, to, to be injected by somebody without knowing. And um, I'm being accused of adverse, an adverse analytical finding, which is, you know, which brings a lot of, you know, questions also. The pathologist Lancet Kenya Laboratories in Nairobi is working under the guidance of WADA and the local subsidiary anti-doping agency of Kenya, ADAK, on behalf of the government of Kenya and World Athletics. Anti-Doping Association of Kenya, ADAC Director Jafter Rugut. It's a personal responsibility that uh, as, as they compete internationally, they need to take care of the younger generation who are coming up, who are, you know, being mentored, who are, you know, growing up into elite sports persons. And they cannot grow into elite sports persons if, you know, they are, they are falling by the wayside and if their seniors are also not keeping uh, the good example that we expect. So we, we really want our elite athletes to help us. We need them as ambassadors so that uh, the generation of tomorrow, which 
you know, which is coming up uh, from the ground, uh, from the lower levels, coming up to national sports uh, levels and maybe to international, uh, will be able to follow the good example that they have set today. In motorsport, two of the biggest motorsport groups in Nigeria, Work and Play and BMW Club, have sealed a partnership that would deliver the biggest action for fans of the sports at the Tafawa Balewa Square in Lagos. The event is built for Saturday, December the 19th, 2020. Adioye Ojuoko said at the weekend that the partnership was an effort in growing the motorsports industry. In football news, Gerard Holia, the French coach who won the UEFA Cup, FA Cup and League Cup with Liverpool, has died, two of his former clubs said on Monday. He was 73. Paris Saint-Germain and Lens confirmed the death of Holia, who managed Liverpool from 1998 to 2004. He was also France national coach from 1992 to 1993. And finally, netball news. Australian-based Malawi Queen netballer Mwawi Kumwenda has been named among the 2020 World Best Four Players. According to an annual poll released by Netball Scoop, led by a team of 10 judges comprising netball writers, journalists and coaches, they have voted the Malawi Quincy shooter as the fourth best netballer in the world after amassing 13 votes. The report states that Kumwenda turned in fine performances for the Premiership-winning team, Melbourne Vixens, in Australia in 2020, most memorably in the league decider, where she netted 47 out of 50 baskets. Reacting to this news, Kumwenda, who is back home on off-season, says she dedicates this to the late national team coach, Griffin Sayenda, because he was the one who spotted her talent and shaped her. Channel Africa with sports from an African perspective. For Channel Africa Sport, I'm Neto and ETO Chamani. This is Africa Digest. And that wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. Be sure to join us again from 1900 hours Central African time for more news from an African perspective. Taking us to the top of the hour is Ketum Tandayo by Lira. We'll see you again later. Goodbye. Get it,